Hello, what's up? My name is Rich Ryan. This is the Reinforced Running Podcast. We're talking about obstacle course racing. We're talking about endurance endeavors. Time to time, we talk about how to mentally prepare yourself for these endurance endeavors. And today, we bring back Dr. Tim Silvestri. Tim has been on the show two times before, two of the most popular episodes we've ever had here at Reinforced Running. They are tremendously valuable. So if you haven't checked those out, I recommend you go ahead and, and take a look at that. It doesn't need to be a precursor for this episode because this thing is dripping, dripping with good information. So what we talk about during this episode is the neurophysiology of stress. And basically what that means is learning what's happening internally when you are going through heavy periods of training or after a big letdown from from a, a race or just how what's happening and internally and why that's making you feel a specific way. And this is something that happens in all aspects of your life, but it's really important for the athlete because we take on a lot of stress and the body has a certain response to that, not just physically like our muscles feeling bad. There is a lot of uh, internal things that are happening with our, our hormone levels that we can address and we need to know what's happening there. So Tim is an absolute expert on this. He know he can drill all the way down. And that's basically what we do. We talk about a, a scenario and then why it's happening internally and what you can do about it. So it's extremely valuable all the way through every piece of this conversation links and coming and all the way to the very end, the last like 15 to 20 minutes is absolute gold. It is fantastic. So I do recommend you listen to the entire podcast all the way through. Um, I typically recommend that you listen to every podcast all the way through, but definitely this one. And because there is so much value here, so much value to the athlete, it is going to be really helpful for you if you can take these words to heart and put this into practice. So let's just get into it. You'll see what I'm saying. You'll see what I'm talking about. Cool. This is my guy, my friend, Tim Silvestri. Tim, thanks for joining me. This is podcast number three for you. Yes. I think that is, that's probably the second most. Well, Josh kind of counts, but I think you're, you're probably the- You can't put me against Josh. But you you're, have in a, terms a, of frequency. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. HHMs. Yep. Yeah. Um, I so, can't go against that. Right. That's a different category. So I think you lead, you lead the league in reinforced running <laughs> podcast appearances, but the two episodes you were on previously are- without a doubt, two of the most popular episodes we've ever had. So when you come on here, the information that you get is so valuable. And it's been really a pleasure to kind of be able to talk to you on on this and kind of work with you uh, outside of this as well, um, and getting to know you from that respect. So today, we want to kind of shift gears a little bit kind of leaning into a little bit more of the the happenings behind why you might be feeling a certain way, especially as athletes and why it is that we are getting the response that we're getting and kind of having tools there or just like a mindset to help uh, understand that a little bit better. But in the previous episodes, we talked about a mental framework called CERT. Um, so it's like, we'll spend very little time talking about this because we talked about it in length in the previous episodes and I'll link to the uh, episodes in the show notes. So if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend you do, especially this time of year because um it's just races are going to start happening. So it's really great to be prepared with that type of mental framework. So um, just give us a real quick rundown about CERT. 
Yeah, so to, uh, let me introduce this notion. This is kind of a new way to put it. So if you're going to excel, you really, there's kind of three core elements that will help you excel. One is you need to know a ton about the thing you're trying to excel at, right? And if you, if the audience has ever seen Rich and Josh geek out, um, they know a ton of stuff, right? It's, it's crazy how much you, you, you all know. Um, second, though, you need to know a performance model and you need to base yourself within a performance model. And so we created the CERB model as an option. Um, and without a performance model, you get bogged down a lot. You get stuck in the mud. And then lastly, you need interpersonal capacity. You, you need capacity for intimacy. You need human capacity. Because if, if you're such a jerk, you're, you're going to get left out. You're going to have interpersonal tension. You, you know, things unravel. And so you're always up against the wall with that stuff. So with CERT, we try to really focus on, so C is uh, commit to commitment, not process, or commit to commitment, not outcome. And by committing to commitment, you're committing to a time frame, like two years, three years. You know, I'm committing this uh, uh, amount of time in my life to this project. Um, e is engage process, not outcome. It's all about process. R is respect knowledge, not talent. Too much respect for talent. Stop it. Respect people for their knowledge. And if you can respect knowledge, you're going to build a better process, better process, better outcome. And lastly, trust. You want to view a lot of your measurement and you want to head to your competition uh, with trust already intact. So we train to trust. We don't train to excel. Um, but trust is kind of where outcomes start coming back in a little bit. You, you pick a couple outcomes. You fail, fail, fail until you achieve those outcomes. Now you trust that you could do that. And if you're doing that, you could co you can compete against whoever it is you're competing against. Um, so the keys of that, though, are, are you, that's a performance model and you need that. But it, within that model, you build up a lot of knowledge, which is the first thing I said, a lot of knowledge of the sport specific. And also within all of that, you're a better person. You're easier to get along with. Mm -hmm. because you're process oriented you're not always panicking you're not shame and judgment and and you're giving yourself ample amount of time to really get to the top so you you are a better person which decreases interpersonal tension in your life which makes you a better athlete makes you sleep better makes you do all that so it, it all kind of comes together in that way but those are the three variables or it's one of them and it's really valuable to have this and another part that we had talked about in the previous episodes is having like that aspiration and being connected to other people or other or something greater than yourself. And again, that all kind of ties into everything you just kind of mentioned. And it really is, it works in, it's very harmonious and it works really, really well. Um, so if you haven't checked it out, please do on the previous episodes. Um, but still at the same time, like that is something that it is, it is, it's a, uh, phenomenal model, but it also takes effort to do that. Um, and so when you get the information, there is definitely some follow through with that, but today the topic's going to be a little bit off of something that is specific to like the actions that an athlete would take to put themselves in a model. And we're going to talk about like the actual, like, yeah, like the physical happenings inside of us that, mm -hmm. um, take cause a shift from our well-being to being like less than ideal. Um, yeah, so we're going to geek out on that. And if you think about running mechanics and biomechanics, we're going to jump into the neurobiomechanics. Okay. So it's cool. like we're going to understand the machinery 
of and and a lot of it's you're you're gonna everyone's gonna be like oh that's why i do this or oh that's why this works it's gonna really pull together some of the stuff that you're already doing and give you the why it works or why no wonder it didn't work <laughs> like right. it was never gonna work um and you're gonna hear the cert model throughout like link it to something bigger than yourself you're gonna see why that's so important because of the energy it gives you and, and what system we're hitting when we do stuff like that. Right. So this is something that should be relatable to everybody. So let's just kind of like dive into those neurobiomechanics. So where does it, where does it start? Like this is a really big topic in terms of like where to explore and the different things to even like, what are we even talking about? Right. Like what, so like, where does it all begin? Yeah. So let's frame it this way. In the animal world, we say an animal is in homeostasis, stress, or distress. And the difference, of course, and with humans, we say well-being instead of homeostasis. But so we have well-being, stress, distress. The difference of stress and distress is that stress, your coping strategies, bring you back to well-being. In distress, you've sunk so low that your coping strategies are insufficient. You kind of need someone to help pull you out of it. And so... Um, we're going to, the last thing, if hopefully we have time, we're going to cover what's called what I call the cortisol spiral. And that's going to be distress. That's like broken well-being. Uh, but all along there, we're going to bounce back and forth between well-being, though not doing well, <laughs> like well-being, but you're tired um, and not misinterpreting that as stress or distress. But also we're going to talk about moments of stress and how to get yourself back to homeostasis or well-being. So that's one way to look at it. But in the end, we're really talking about all the crap bumbling around in your head, all the thoughts, all the negativity and why that happens and how to fix all that. So when you're going, when you're in stress, say like as, um, uh, I don't know, just anybody in the, in COVID times, your, their kids are home, they're in school, like there is stress there. Um, so you're outside of like your well-being at that point. So to get yourself back to well-being, um, I don't know, you eat ice cream or something like that to handle mm -hmm. the stress in that moment, or you go for a run to handle that stress in that moment. Right. And that's kind of, that helps kind of shift things back in. And yeah, and during that run, you have some epiphany or you put it in perspective and you go, you know, there's people worse off than me right now. And you feel better after it, right? That gets you from stress back to well-being. Is this a chemical part too? Because sometimes I, I try to, I, I feel that in myself, like that things have changed, especially with exercise. And I think with any, with anything really, even with a, with comfort food or um, any type of vice or however you kind of handle stress and meditation, journaling. Um, I feel like there's some sort of chemical compound there that's happening, right? It's like something is actually changing. Yeah, big time. So, you know, gratitude is so important because it links. So there's three things you know have to know about humans. One is we're a social species. So anything social is better for us. So showing gratitude or saying, you know, there's people worse off than me or, or again, we're going to get into it, but committing to something bigger than yourself. Um, there's a social element to that. And that releases endorphins, dopamine, oxytocin, all the feel good chemicals in our brain. Social is big. Um, loneliness is tragic, right? Um, and if you've ever seen Castaway with Tom Hanks, he had to have the volleyball head. He had to have Wilson. He had to have some social contact. So one, we're a social species. Two, we have systems and subsystems. And so when you're kicking into social, you're kicking in some systems and subsystems. And that's some of your endorphins, dopamine, and oxytocin, your feel-good stuff. And then lastly, we have associative networks. 
mapping and what's mapped in comes out emotionally, behaviorally, and perceptually. So we always go with our emotions or behaviors. Like I, I want to eat better. Change the mapping, you change the behavior. If you don't change the mapping, behavioral change is almost impossible. So when we're doing some of these things, sometimes we find a new framework, we put it in perspective, so, so to speak. And by putting it in perspective, you might be changing the mapping, which changes then the emotions, behaviors, or perceptions. So if you think crickets are bugs and I handed you a bowl full, a bowl full of crickets, you're going to go ill. No, thank you, right? Because crickets mm -hmm. are bugs mapped in your brain. But so you're going to say, no, thank you. You're going to push it away. That's behavior. You're going to go, ew, right? That's an emotion. And you're going to say bug, right? But if you grew up in a culture where crickets are a snack, which I've had crickets, they taste like uh, sesame seeds, um, if you'd say, oh, thank you. And you'd eat a couple crickets because they're a snack, right? So the mapping is what dictates it. So there's a lot of different things that could happen with your run. You could have an epiphany, change the mapping. You could kick in a system like your endorphin system. You could show a little gratitude again, kicking in a system. Um, and you could say hi to someone on a run, or you could feel your unity with your running peeps, even though you don't know any of them and you feel part of a community. And that social element uh, is kicking in the, the social. But you're hitting one or more of those systems, social systems or associative networks. So within the CERT model, when it comes to mapping the mapping the brain, I believe how you put it, is like where what's the is there multiple ways that people are kind of approaching their performance or their like goals that this can kind of more or less funnel them into this model or is it one specific challenge that is presented when people are, are are kind of going through it that the cert helps like rewire this one specific thing or does it kind of help funnel no it does it, it's exactly that so you know again what did i say you need specific knowledge for the thing you need a performance model to excel and you need capacity for intimacy and so Think about the CERT model. The CERT model is the foundation for performance. And by engaging a model, CERT's one option, you're, you're changing the frameworks that are guiding the behavior, emotion, and perception. So by focusing on respect for knowledge, not talent, take Atkins, right? Everyone wants to beat Atkins. Everyone wants to beat Killian. Everyone wants to be in the top three, right? Well, in fact, they're not different you don't respect them for knowledge. What we want to say is they hit the ceiling. Like they are as close to the human ceiling of capacity as one could get. But if everyone could figure out some of the mechanics of this, we should have 10 people close to that ceiling. Like they're not super gods. Right. They presumably have a better process that led to a better outcome. They presumably have more knowledge that led to a better process that led to a better outcome. And they've committed a time variable needed to get to that point. But it should be a more crowded space than it is. But because we view them as talent, we stop. That's the mapping leading to behavior. If we change the mapping and focus on process and knowledge, then you're trying to get as close to the human ceiling. You're not trying to beat a god who's unbeatable. 
Right. Because we not all have the potential to move to that ceiling. Right. And that's something within OCR specifically. It's like looking at these athletes, it's like they're all just kind of like regular people. It's like you look at LeBron James, something like that, then it's harder to wrap your head around that. Um, but within our sport or an endurance sport in general, it's like, yeah, like they are there there is nothing that's separating them physically or inherently. Um, right. So and our sport, the reason I want to do our sport is it's the it's one of the purest sports out there where height doesn't matter as nearly as much as the NBA or swimming. Right. Um, truly, the effort you put in, you will get out. And the obstacles aren't impossible. Like you can do the obstacles. The running isn't impossible. Um, and so you literally can get to the ceiling. Really, any body type can. It's it's the process you put in. And I think that's what's attractive when people first come in, right? They're like, I'm I'm an athlete to some respect, so I think I could figure this out. And then it is, then they have to open this whole door of of knowledge that they might not have understood. Like is going to present them presented with them. So like then it's like, oh, now I really do need to dive in and and commit to that long term process. With this mapping, I was just thinking is because. What you're talking about, it's not necessarily self-help, but it's sound, but like it can be construed in that. Or are, is that is this why self-help books are so like popular? It just kind of changes the way people think about a certain scenario by giving them a way to think about it, a, a way to remap their thoughts. It is. It's trying to create the appropriate frameworks. Now, there's there's a couple different versions of self-help. There's the strong marketing self-help book. Self-help's not a great word. I don't want to slam anybody, so I I won't (laughs) who the hacks are in my opinion. There's the more science-y, you know, based on science kind of self-help. But in the end, what we we don't want self-help, we want accuracy. And the more accuracy you have, the more complete story you have, the better you're going to function. And so the best self-help isn't self-help. It's it's a foundation, a framework based on accurate scientific knowledge. Um, Newton discovered that the apple didn't fall. The apple had a direction. And by breaking through that framework that the apple had a direction, it was moving towards the, the largest mass around, um, not it fell down. He changed the whole framework, and that's accuracy. Right. That's crazy. So thinking yeah. about that, thinking about him trying to make that discovery, it's just yeah. absurd. Everyone's like, dude, the apple fell down. You're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, shut this up. Science. It always <laughs> falls down, dude. And he's like, no, no, it had direction. <laughs> like, yeah, down, it fell. <laughs> and um, now we, we take it for granted, gravity, but that was a framework shift, right? And then, so what we're trying to do is a paradigm shift to get us more and more accurate. And by being loaded with this talent myth, we're we're just not telling a complete story. We're just not as accurate as we could be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the self help. It's like not a bad. It's not a. It's definitely takes on a, a derogatory turn. Like it feels slimy and weird. Yeah. Well, some of it's just so, but, and some of some of it's helpful. I've had some some decent yeah, oh, uh, yeah. experience with it. Um, so one part of this that kind of getting into where we're going is talking about different like energy systems and yeah. how that all kind of pertains to um, generally just how we feel. So could you speak to that like where this goes with how how that works within a, a person? Yeah, for sure. 
So yay, fifth grade biology teachers, because everyone's going to be able to answer this question. Um, what does a mitochondria do? It's the powerhouse of the cell. And I've never met anyone who didn't remember that. So, <laughs> The one thing we all remember from school is fifth grade biology mitochondria. I remember how they look and everything. Like we had yeah. to make like a, a diorama for it. <laughs> right. so, yeah. so, all right. So we have two energy systems in our body. If you think of it on a cellular level, we have when, when there's a demand um, or a goal or a task, then we have uh, the, the cell will take three floating molecules of fuel or fuel that's stored in a cell and throw it into the mitochondria. Now you're in energy mode and you have 10,000 foot soldiers marching along with you. Um, no demand, no task, no goal, no immediate thing you're facing, and your, your cells go into conservation mode. Now, these are the ways I refer to it. I, I don't think if you Wikipedia conservation mode, it's going to come up. But, you know, spending my time working with folks, they don't want to... They, they don't need the science technical terms. We need to like understand. We get that. it. We get it. And you have energy mode and conservation mode. Um, so cells or, or uh, molecules of fuel are either being thrown into mitochondria, energy mode, or thrown into the vacuole, which is an organelle in a cell that's a storage plant. And so you're in conservation mode then. And a lot of people get misunderstand this. They think they need discipline. They think they need drive. They think they need motivation. but the, the goal is to spark on, if, if you're not feeling motivated, you're in conservation mode. So the goal is to jump into energy mode. Um, and there's a number of different ways to do it. But when we talk about burnout, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but when we, you know, this is why in a CERT model, let me put it this way, in a CERT model, we link it to something bigger than yourself. Because that is the longest lasting fuel on the planet. You, you never burn out of it. And so the reason I want to get the CERT model out there is because I truly believe that this plus the neurophysiology, the neurobiomechanics will save lives. So I was up uh, 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 running up a mountain two weeks ago and I was like in the pain cave. I was towards the top of the mountain and I was in the pain cave and I thought, suck it up, buttercup, which I actually got from one of your guests. I forget her name. Way back. Um, huh? That was way back. Yeah, it was way back. But anyway, sorry, my dog going to bark for two more seconds. Um, so I, I stole that line from her. I love it. I'm like, suck it up, buttercup. If you don't get up this mountain, you're not going to win races. If you don't win races, you're not going to use the, the neurophysiology isn't going to get out there. And someone literally, uh, kind of trigger alert, but someone literally could die by suicide because you didn't do it. And, and you, you think that's not going to fuel me? That's a real moment. And it's not a technique. It's not a scam. It, that's what I'm about. That's what I'm trying to do. That is forever burning fuel. So that keeps you in demand goal in energy mode consistently day by day you can't stop it's bigger than you right and that's like how we talked about before like the aspiration that you're tying right. your physical goals to is the the getting this out there and saving lives where a lot of times it is like being a good example for your 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 kids or or whatever it ends up being being um a happier better person but like for you in particular like you have this goal and that's how it's tied um, right and real quick now, this guy, Adam Grant, who's awesome, he wrote a book called um, 
give and take. Uh, and and what he shows is that people with a mission do extremely well. People who are driven by their own narcissism or like, you know, I want to do this for me, they can excel, but they fall. And then people without a mission finish last. And you can see why when you understand the energy system that narcissists, when you're doing it for you, it'll fuel you because you want to succeed for your own personal whatever. But it's it's not as clean and long lasting fuel as doing it for someone else, which relates back to then the science of we are a social species mm. and we have systems and subsystems and we have associative networks that fuel the behaviors, the emotions and cognitions we experience, right? See how it all keeps, we're going to layer this throughout the podcast, but you're going to see it, it all keeps kind of folding in together. So then how does the, when it comes to the energy systems that you're, you're pertaining to when you're in uh, conservation mode versus um, energy mode, energy mode, where where does that kind of fall into place with um with the kind of the kind of goal setting and 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 things like that like or like the aspiration piece how does that kind of tie right, in so you have this aspiration right and you set a time variable because if you just say i want to finish top 3 and you're not finishing top 3 you're failing right and you're you're going to shut down right that's that's kind of learned helplessness there's a lot of different research we could pull in but you're eventually going to, you're going to shut down. You're going to stop. But oh, if you I say see. for three years, I'm going to commit to this. You have three years of energy mode because you said I'm doing it. So even if you stopped for two weeks, the, tw- the 15th day, stug it up, buttercup, get back out there. You still have two more years of it. I say right? so longer lasting, clean burning fuel. And there's actually a shift that happens within us when we feel like we have failed that'll put us into conservation mode. So if you're like, I want to get sixth place, I want to get fifth place at Jacksonville and just for the sake of getting fifth place and then you get 15th, you're like, well, I failed at this and physically you'll you'll come out of energy mode. Um, where and if that's why like, we talk about cortisol spiral and the, the havoc that the cortisol spiral wreaks on you. So- by failing, you're immediately in a cortisol spiral, and that's just destruction. And that's so we'll how- get to that later. But the other part of it is Jacksonville. I finished 15, but I still have two and a half years of my commitment left. Imagine where I'm going to be at the end of two and a half years. I'm already 15. Right. So, right, that's energy mode. And um, the other thing is you're constantly focused on process and all. Right. So, okay. I see how that, how that works as opposed to just having it be uh, one singular goal um, short term or the next race that you sign up for Boston qualifier, whatever it is that might stall your progress um, physically. Like right. And you take the lessons, you know, you taught me this, like you go in, you race hard and you take the lessons so you know what to hit for your next training block. So you didn't finish 15th. You just kind of went into process and now you know what you have to fix, right? right? So you didn't lose. You didn't finish 15th. You now have your direction for the next training block. That's energy mode. Right. You're armed with more information, more knowledge, and it's tied to that commitment piece. Um, and then you can help build the trust. The whole thing. 
It's all, it's all, all right. So this is definitely an enlightening way to kind of think about ways to, you know, judge your, your, your short-term, long-term goals. And if, you know, they're too short or they're too much, it, like, like the plan is too self-centered or there's no plan at all. Like it's going to hurt your ability to then continue to want to train and perform. Are there other things that would cause this like energy system to move out of the, yeah. like, well, how does that like, yeah, so let's figure- some of the other layers here real quick before we do no demand um, often feels more like depression. And I don't mean like a long lasting depression. I mean like a depressive day, right? Um, I don't want to dismiss people who have suffered from longstanding depression. I'm not trying to liken it, but, but no demand doesn't feel like no demand. It actually has, it feels very lazy. Like when you feel lazy, that's probably no demand. It's not that you are lazy. Um, and so some of the ways to deal with that is prioritize plan block. Set your priority. What's your plan to attack that priority? And what block of the day are you going to hit that? Right. So now I know in the AM, I, I know I go in, I check my emails, I clear out some of the, my work for the day. Um, then I train and then I eat. And basically every day I do that. So I have a priority. I have a plan. Why am I not, quote, lazy? Because I have energy mode. Failure to commit to a priority, failure to have a plan, you're probably going to jump into conservation mode because there's no demand, right? And that's where habits then come in. Think of how, you know, everyone talks habits. Why are habits a, why are they effective? And why should we entertain some notion of habit? Well, habits put you into energy mode. You don't even have to try, right? I know when I get up, I go downstairs, I get my mostly decaf coffee, I feed the guinea pigs, I come back, I sit down on my computer, I get something off my to-do list for the day, then I exercise, and then I eat. And my body knows to do that, so it, it has anticipatory energy to say, well, we know what the dude's going to do, here you go, here's some energy to go do it. Hmm. Right. So habits aren't the be all end all, but when they work, that's why they work. They're automatically kicking you into energy. Got it. And that's one of the, you know, those habit books will kind of be stuck in the self-help ish department. People do try to jump right to that. Right. It's like, and it seems like it's being force fed a lot, but it makes sense. Right. Like if you are automatically put into this mode where you're going to be ready to spend energy or create energy like and that's all backed too right the, the habits mm-hmm. research is, is pretty pretty vetted mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure and so i i got this so i was doing my workouts and i was eating right but i wasn't getting enough work done in my morning block and i heard a podcast by this guy dan john i think he's a discus or something but anyway yeah, i'm actually and, reading one of his books right now he was a he was a discus yeah okay discus. yeah he's great so he said, he calls it the three E's. You eliminate, you exercise, you eat. And once I put in my to-do list thing first before the exercise, I'm like a machine now. So I, I was trying to figure out a better process. 
I found his thing and it worked for me. I'm not saying it'll work for everyone, but that's again, I wasn't failing. It's I didn't have the right process. Hmm. Right. Um, and so now that I have that, I eliminate something big from my to-do list, exercise, eat. But that's really behind the scenes in neurobiology is we're kicking in our energy. Because I found this to be a game changer for me. Like I, I have very strict like automatic habits for like the first probably, I don't know, three to five hours of my day. And like if I'm out of them, I, I'm, I'm awful. <laughs> but like mm-hmm. and I'm like upset about it. <laughs> um, so is this kind of like a trial and error thing? Well, it's process, right? And you're figuring it out. Yeah. That's like knowledge, you know, knowledge leads to process leads out. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like there's been tons of stuff where people talk about habits and I'm sure that's like, everyone's heard that it's not new information, but it makes sense that there is a reason other than just like, Oh, you'll, once you pick up the habit, it'll just start to become automatic. But like, they're like, literally there's something happening internally that will. Right. Eat that. Like it's right. not- and that's what you and I promised is like everything we're talking about is probably stuff everyone knows, but we're giving the why. Right. You know, and then that'll help you either commit better or change it as needed or get rid of the stuff that has no science behind. It. So let's talk about two others that, you know, you said, how else does this relate? So let's talk about fatigue uh-huh. um, and uh, and um, burnout. So we'll end with burnout because that's kind of the ultimate. But fatigue is another big one. And so the the great thing that I have this, uh, I I always say the three L's. Fatigue doesn't feel tired. Fatigue feels like the three L's. Lazy, lonely, loser. And when you're tired, like, so why Monday were you happy and laughing with friends? And Tuesday you wake up and you're like, I don't feel like it. I just don't feel like working out today. And do I really have friends or do uh, do they just let me hang out, but they don't really like me? And hmm. like, God, I'm such a loser, right? The three L's come out. Athletes, you are tired people. <laughs> you are expending energy. And for me, I work a rigorous full-time job and I'm working out and I'm a dad and blah, blah, blah. I could go on and on, right? Um. I'm tired. The three L's come out. It would be great if fatigue felt like fatigue and depression felt like depression. But the three L's, people mistake that all the time for, oh my God, I have low self-esteem or I have this. Folks, you might be tired. Let's rule that out first. Um, yeah, go ahead. How, do, how would you suggest that that happens? Because it is something that um, can be a struggle, right? Like I, where it's like my performance wasn't wasn't good enough. I feel terrible about my performance. I need to work harder. Right. It's like, no, <laughs> right. That's like kind of the, that's kind of the way to go. Right. It's like, I need to work harder. I'm not putting in this work cause I'm, I'm being lazy or I'm just not, not worth getting these performances. Like how do you figure like, what's a strategy that you can take to find out? Like if, if you are actually tired, or if you're not working hard enough, or if it is like a, a training thing. Yeah. This is an associative network question then. What's mapped in comes out emotionally, behaviorally, perceptually. And so the best, I think, and then, you know, all the experts out there, you might crush me for this. I don't know. But I think the truest measure of strength or, or whatever, speed or whatever, 
is not actually witnessing yourself do it. It's how long does it take to recover? Hmm. So I have enough strength to lift a five pound weight. And if you give me one second rest, I can lift that five pound weight again. Right? Like that's a ridiculous example. But if I maxed out my bench press, I shouldn't be able to max out that bench press again, the same weight the next day because I fried my system. So that's my max because it'll take me a week or three days or whatever to recover. Hmm. So your recovery is it. And so if you don't have it in a workout one day, you probably, so what we want, where we're going with this is you want a work recovery balance. Work and rest are opposite. Work and recovery are yin and yang. They're complement. And so if you're 3Ling, first of all, that's a problem. You're probably tired. If you're not hitting the mark that you think you should be hitting, you're not recovered yet. And some efforts, some people go so hard that they, in essence, need two weeks of recovery because they went so freaking hard, (laughs) they blew themselves up and they're like, two weeks recovery. Are you what? No, I need to do this again tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. You know, they hear the, they hear their competition they hear ryan atkins doing something and the next day he did the same thing and they think that's the goal but he has enough strength that he didn't need recovery right if you don't have enough strength you could do that workout but you need a longer recovery so fatigue is a critical element for athletes to consider first all the time am i tired this there's so many things on this because it's like that's why I hate big workouts where people want to do like they saw some challenge or something posted like Murph is coming up Memorial Day will be here soon. People are going to want to do that. They're going to do it and they're going to feel terrible for a couple of days. Um, So, but I I mean, depending on your strength, it could be a couple of weeks. Totally. And then like, this happened to me last year with that. I was like, man, I feel really, really bad, like real bad. Like, and I had some physical feel bad, definitely some, some mental feel bads after that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that, you know, needing to make sure you're recovered. Um, I would recommend that people do have some sort of check-in that is outside of the external hardware pieces that are now being touted as like recovery pieces like mm-hmm. the whoop strap the aura ring like they're great they're fine they're great to create awareness but like you need to know what is what is your level of recoverability so if you have some some sort of metric or something you can always do it or some sort of way to feel if it's good like i've heard um strength coaches talk about yeah having a certain lift or having something that they know is going to be good or a feeling of that lift like that is going to be more uh, better information to take for your recovery than what the whoop strap tells you. Um, so I would just caution against that. Cause I feel like people now, yeah. like, Oh cool. I'll just work and I'll just do big workouts. And when my strap tells me I'm good to go, I'll just yeah. go then. But um, it kind of defeats this. Um, I heard a nutritionist say, Rich, um, all food fit. So it's just a matter of where, right? Like if you're eating, I like Welch's uh, fruit snacks during a long, long run. Right. But I'm not going to just sit on a couch and eat Welch's fruit snacks all day. Right. Um, I would say the same thing with workouts. All workouts fit. So let's say you're traveling for your business and you're you're literally going to be hard-pressed to do a workout for four days. Mm -hmm. Okay, then nail a killer workout that just blows blow yourself up because 
you're literally forced into five days of recovery. But if you like, I like working out. So I want to work out just about every morning. It makes my body, at 51, it makes my body feel better to twist my body in different ways. Um, so I don't do, you'd be uh, completely unimpressed with my workout. And I'm the strongest, most athletic I've ever been in my life. We'll test it on race day, I, I hope. <laughs> but I feel the strongest and the fittest I've ever felt. And if you looked at my workouts, you'd be like, that's it? That's nothing. Because I'm doing it every day and I'm slowly right. building that strength over time. And some days I hit it harder. Some days I just do explosive, like whatever. We mix it all that. But um, that's a way to think about it is, are you forced into a recovery? Then do some crazy kick-ass workout. Um, so anyway, that's the three L's. And then the burnout piece, um, that's back to um, Adam Grant, give and take. And what he's, his research clearly shows is when you're not mission-based, you burn out. And, you know, narcissism is some fuel, but it's not long-lasting fuel. But the, the ultimate, most long-lasting fuel is committing to a long-term commitment and doing it for something bigger than yourself. And you won't burn out. So think about, are you needing to kick into energy system? That's your first rule out. Are you tired? Three L's, second rule out. Or are you not linked to something bigger than yourself and you just don't have a long enough fuel source? Those are the, your energy mode broken down into three easy check downs. Hmm. So say they're like, what are some things that to, to combat these things, right? Like obviously like rest and recovery, but like, it's not always that easy. In that example that I gave before, it's like, I didn't, I didn't get my goal. I need to work harder type of thing. Um, are there strategies that you can, kind of help guide people to so that they can handle the fatigue or handle the burnout? Um, well, first of all, we want to, so let me do this. Let me tell you some things that create fatigue that would surprise you. Hard workouts doesn't surprise anybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but any new stim will exhaust you. So if you move, two weeks after you move, you're going to be tired because it's all new stim and I'll explain why. Hmm. New stim meaning stimulus. But two months after you move, you get wallop. You just go into a deep funk. Um, new workout. The great thing about having a coach is you constantly get new workouts and it breaks you out of your comfort zone. The bad thing is new stim exhausts you further. So you want some repetition. A new coach. That could, that's new stim. That mm -hmm. could exhaust you. A new job. A new professional endeavor. Um, Right. So we know going to failure and building phases and disrupted sleep, macro deficits. We know all those things create fatigue, but new stim is a biggie and people are not managing that. So if you can, if you can kind of say, okay, I'm moving, this is new stim or I'm doing a new workout thing or whatever. All right. I'm working out in a new gym. I ha I'm dating someone new. This is all new stim. That's going to, you're going to be on the lookout for fatigue. And you can fight that by more recovery, right? So recovery can be active or passive. It could be meditation. It could be a nap, but it can also be a 10 minute walk. It could be picking up 10 pound weights, doing your normal workout, but you're just doing it with 10 pound weights. So you're getting blood flow in your muscle. That's active recovery. 
Um, so there's a lot of recovery mechanisms we can use. And when you're going through, it makes sense. Like all the things you mentioned in terms of like changing the stem and, and you know, anything that's out of your comfort zone, anything new that you have to take on, like there's going to have to be some extra, like it's not wired into those patterns. Like you're not like, you're, you're not going to be there at the way that you were. How can, what I can foresee being hard for this is linking the three L's to the, the, the actual reasons for fatigue, especially because it's not immediate. Like the example you gave for moving, it's like, Oh, you might feel lazy two weeks after the move. And you might not even remember. Like I, like if that was my case, I probably would just try to push through it and just, you know, just try to deal. So you can put it on your calendar and be like two weeks, be kind to yourself. Three L's might show up. Two months, be kind to yourself. Three L's might show up. Interesting. Right? So, being proactive. so we know that. And so mm-hmm. when I work with athletes one-on-one, um, I'm listening to that stuff. And I'm like, by the way, it's been two months or we're two more weeks. It'll be two months since you moved. Get ready. You're about to be crushed. And so I, I, I'm always warning them. I'm like, I see what's coming. And I... I, I predict what's coming for them. And that's not a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so the reason, can I shed, can I geek out with the neurobio for the, for the new stem? Yes. Okay. So you have, you have two, uh, I'm going to pick on two areas of your brain. You have your frontal lobe with, right behind your eye socket called an orbital frontal cortex. And that thing is like your, per, your, 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 um, intentionally doing something, you're problem solving, you're, you're manually doing it. Then in the back of your brain, you have a little area called um, uh, dorsal striatum, and that's your habit part of your brain. The dorsal striatum can use almost no fuel, but when you have to rely on your frontal lobe, your whole brain is working overdrive, and it's like an eight-cylinder car. I once drove uh, a Suburban to North Carolina, and I couldn't believe the gas mileage it got. But once you hit the highway, it shifted from eight cylinders to four cylinders. So it was like a little putt-putt car. You know what I mean? It Mm. used no fuel. When you're in habit mode, you're using your dorsal striatum. That's four cylinders. When you have to think through something, when it's new stim, you're using all eight cylinders. You're burning fuel like crazy. And so uh, one thing I would have everyone do is, Take a shower, but tomorrow when you take a shower, wash your body from the left foot up. You won't be able to do it. You'll wash body parts multiple times. (laughs) It'll exhaust you because you need your orbital frontal cortex to do that task. You can't rely on your dorsal striatum. Right now when you're showering, you do your typical shower routine. It's all dorsal striatum. You're using no energy. So any new stim exhausts us, and athletes are completely unaware of all this. Plus, you're working out. And so you don't need to be as depressed as you think you are. Um, you have to differentiate what's happening between fatigue or new stim or any of that. That makes total sense. <laughs> that it, like, <laughs> the energy, like just the thought like of how it, how you're processing things. Because, um, yeah, the, the brain sucks up a ton of energy. ton of it. A ton of it. I don't so, know how you know so much, by the way. But... That's a statement a neuroscientist would say. How would you know that? But you know, you know so much. I but yes, the brain soaks up a ton of energy. You're right. Back I do. Right. I do very little thinking outside of like these 
conversation. <laughs> I just walk into walls all day. Um, and with the, the burnout piece, um, how would you differentiate? Like, is it, is it as simple as being like, Oh, I had this connection with something greater than myself and that's gone now. Or, and, and, and is it important to recognize the difference between the, um, burnout versus the, like the three L's fatigue or are they kind of the same? Can you get out of them the same way? Is um, it? Well, no, they're, 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 they feel similar. Um, and, and, or you're just cranky and you just don't want to do it anymore. And you're just like, I, I hate this. It's like burnout is more, I hate this, not three L's. It's, it's, it's like, oh. I hate this external thing versus three L's is I hate myself, you know? Got it. I hate racing. I don't want to race anymore. I'm sick of training. I, I hate mountain. If I see one more mountain, I'm going to like scream. I ha- I don't want to do it anymore. Right. That's yeah. loss of mission. We think we're burnt out, but we're not. It's loss of mission. And so you might need to change. That's fine. But think about like education or nursing, these these tough occupations and systems, those systems suck the mission out of us and they're highly vulnerable to burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, police work, you know, all these things, they suck the mission out of us. Mm. But we went into it with mission. And same with athletics. Athletics can suck the mission out of Then you turn pro and now you're like subject. You feel like a, a, a monkey doing tricks. No mission. And then top athletes burn out because feeling like a monkey doing tricks doesn't feel like mission at all. But knowing that if I hit the top, I can be a difference maker in the world. That that's mission. That's longer lasting fuel. So it's not as simple as just overcoming fatigue. It's needing to kind of reconnect mm-hmm. to to which might take that time away. Or how do you recommend? Like because because that's what that, that's what could be dangerous, right? Is like if you get to this point of burnout, you might just comp- leave it entirely, and then well, never that's why I said a long time ago, coaching is in the ready for a paradigm shift. We hmm. need a performance model. You need to link what you, your athletes are doing to things. And you do that work. I, I know you do. So, you know, or you, you, you consult with me and I, I listen for mission and I help people find the mission. And, you know, sometimes one session and they're like back in it, they're, they're just zooming. Hmm. Um, so it could be a conversation with your partner. Um, what you know, you just talk to someone and you or yourself in journal. But if you don't know to look for the mission and you don't know the importance, if you don't know why, then you're not gonna fulfill it. If you know why, which now you're everyone does, it's mission, now you can find it much more easily. So it, I mean, yeah, it takes time. I mean, it takes work. That's work. You know, you have to mm-hmm. you have to be willing to sit down and, and be with your thoughts and, and and think about why what's going on and 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 really do that type of work. And, and whether it is talking to someone, talking to a coach or your partner or someone um, or anybody really, and just or just sitting and writing with yourself, it, it, it does take. It's not as simple as resting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. No, although so I, I I did forget to mention this back to uh, fatigue. 
uh, my one of my favorite lines I use all the time with my athletes is uh, gains are like cats. They show up when they want. And breaks are like cats. They show up when they want. And so that's back to the work recovery ratio, right? And so you're not in control of your recovery. Your body says, time to recover, dude. <laughs> like you're taking a day off. And you got to just listen to that. And so athlete, I, I always say, like, stop measuring your bench press. Stop measuring this stuff. And Dan John is big on this. He'll say, you don't know what you're going to lift that day. You, you know what exercises you're going to do, but you don't know what weight you're going to put up because you don't know where your body is in recovery versus breakdown mode. Right. Right. So you might only do 10 pound weights. Do 10 pound weights. Um, don't expect to always lift more because your body might need recovery. That's okay. And that's I say this all the time. So I'm preaching to the choir with you. I know, but, but the, it's a good point because your body shutting you down. Isn't necessarily always going to be just, Oh, I'm tired today. I'm lifting like I'm lifting like shit. It might be an injury, you know, like your body's going to get its way. It's going to yep. stop you when it needs to stop. Yep. Um, so, and then we wanted to talk real, uh, we want to talk about disrupted well-being. but go ahead with your question. I just wanted to, no, we need a couple minutes to talk about. We talked about well-being, and then we talked a little bit about quote stress, and now and somewhere in there we want to talk about distress. But yeah, did you have any other follow-up for the stuff we talked about? No, I was going to ask. Take a hard left. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had any more thoughts on on like the the stress piece, but it seems like we've covered quite a bit of it, and I think that there is, and I do want to get to all these other parts, and definitely the part, and we'll, we'll just keep going, because we'll, we'll, I think we're on something. So, um. Yeah, let's take that left. So talk to, about, talk to me about the disrupted well-being. Okay, so I don't like the, you know, I teach, quote, abnormal psychology. And in the first class, I put abnormal psychology, I write it on the chalkboard, and I cross it mercilessly out. That is the most offensive term, right? And I write in the words disrupted well-being, because that's what happens. We're not, I understand depression, anxiety. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. What I'm saying is, if your framework is my being, my well-being was there and now it's been disrupted, we're getting back to well-being, right? And and as a framework, uh, that that's important an important difference than saying I'm broken. Um, but if the identity piece and and saying I have depression and and identity wise that works for somebody and that's important, then keep that. I'm not challenging that you shouldn't say that. I'm just saying. Let's think about it for a second. Let's consider the elements of it that are disrupted well-being. And just real okay. quick, so just so yeah. I understand kind of what you're saying um, with between the two, like, and just I guess like the de- definition of what you are considering depression or what you what depression actually is. Um, could you just talk like just elaborate on that or just kind of give that more more definition? Well, let me let me go through the cortisol spiral, and then you'll know exactly what's happening. Okay. Right. Right. So you yeah. could call it depression. You could call it a cortisol spiral. It doesn't matter. It's it exists and it's there. Okay. Panic attack is there. It exists. The question is why. And so if it's what depression, okay. How do you fix it? Okay, go to therapy or or whatever you're doing, right? Um. Why? And that's what I'm just going to focus on. Okay. Right. Well, let's talk about it. So now we have we had the energy uh, conservation mode, right? Now let's talk about 
energy. So when you have a demand, you have energy, right? And we call that stress. Oh, I'm so stressed out at work. That's not stress. That's good stress. That's energy mode, mm. right? So when we say stress a lot, we're actually talking about energy mode. Okay, let's talk about what actual stress is. Stress is a repeated oppressor and or a social knockdown. So oppressive forces um, being bullied that are repeated or social knockdowns, losing a race that you thought you should have won, or I was so ready to do my first 225 bench press and I couldn't get the bar up and you feel totally defeated. That's a social knockdown. You feel like you've been knocked out a couple of pegs. Mm-hmm. Those things over repeated doses cause massive amounts of cortisol in our bloodstream. Overexposure to cortisol, especially over about eight weeks of time um, through repeated dosing, uh, it, the one big thing it does is it disrupts slow-wave sleep. So you have massive amounts of cortisol over time. That disrupts slow-wave sleep, which is your deepest coma-based sleep. Right? I could flick your forehead and you won't wake up. So cortisol, decreased sleep, specifically slow wave. When you don't sleep right, you your appetite goes off. And we're going to talk about temperament in a minute. But if you're on a chill side of the temperament, then you're going to crave high fat, high carb food. When you're on the anxious side of the temperament curve, you're going to lose your appetite. Huh. So cortisol, disrupted sleep, disrupted appetite. When you're not eating right, when your macros are off, then you're going to lose motivation, concentration, and desire to socialize. You're going to withdraw. And so, uh, and as you do, which I could go into neurobiology, but I don't want to because of time, but there's reasons why that's happening. Um, And so less energy to the frontal lobe, less motivation, less uh, concentration, less socialization, less of those things, more stress, more stress, more cortisol, round around yourself. That's the cortisol spiral. Now, if you're on the the chill side of the temperament curve, you're probably going to, after about eight to 12 weeks, feel depressed. You're going to experience depression. If you're on the anxious side um, of the temperament curve, you're going to experience anxiety and or it could lead to panic attacks. So what's happening is you're slowly becoming more and more dysregulated to the point where your your temperament is flooding out of you and now you're experiencing depression or anxiety. So that's what's happening in disrupted well-being and you can see how athletes are so vulnerable to this. They're tired. They have the 3 Ls going on. They're pushing themselves beyond where and they're not focusing on recovery. Um they're starting to fail even though they're trying harder and harder. Um, they take, they're, they're not working on their interpersonal capacity. So they're arguing with people and when their macros are off or they're not sleeping right, or they're not recovered, they're grumpy to be around. Um, and so athletes are particularly vulnerable to cortisol spirals because they're not tending to all the things we've been talking about for the past 55 minutes. And my mission truly is to get the cortisol spiral in people's hands so they understand the why or all of this stuff so that, you know, they don't go into a panic attacks. They don't experience a clinical depression and worse tragedy, right? These things are, uh, 
um, we can address them. And I'll talk about how to get out of it, but let me stop there and Rich, uh, Rich unconfuse the audience where I lost anybody or how I didn't explain it well. Um, let's stop there. No, that was that was really really sad because that was going to be some of my my questions, like the, like how to intervene. Um, and one like the this is just like a, a random side thought, and I don't think it necessarily pertains to what we're talking about. But is this how like the when you talked about people getting uh like taken down a peg socially, or how did you how did you frame it? Yeah, not social knockdown. Social knockdown. Is this how social media can make you feel like shit? Like, oh, because big time. You see I what- include this forever, Rich. I was like, this is not the most stressed generation. There were Viking ships appearing on Ireland's coast, and they would kill an entire village of or, or like region of 2,000 people. That is way more stressful than what we're experiencing today, right? This <laughs> is not the most stressful generation. Seems like it. Generation, except... Maybe it is social media and not being included in a group text that we are a social species. Anything social in nature crushes us. And they always talk about it's how social media is kind of like the highlight reel of your life. Right. So like Mm -hmm. you could think that there was this place that you were socially and then there's this presentation that is not real, that is Mm -hmm. not real life and it can affect you without and it can release release this type of response from cortisol just I think because it has repeated over and over over and, and go, over and you go back trying to get out of that and then it hits you again yeah. so like stress in terms of this definition it 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 makes sense or what stress really is not necessarily yeah. like, Oh, I have a whole bunch of stuff to do at work. Um, it's like, Oh, I feel bad about myself. Stress. Like mm-hmm. something is on me. Stress. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was just something that really dawned on me when you yeah, we were talking about it. And I, maybe this is the most stressed generation for very nuanced reasons. Right. And it, yeah, like if it's explained, to, like I don't think it'd be hard to argue if you if it's understood like this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So let's talk how to fix it. Yeah. The answers are going to shock you, folks. They're going to be like, I had, I was with them for one hour, we're at one hour, one minute right now. I was with the dude for an hour and one minute, and then this three minutes happened, and I bailed. I he lost me. No way, it's too late now. Okay, so how to fix this? I can't tell you how many athletes I've worked with. They 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 found me out somehow, and I consult with them from around the country. I mean, it's not just like face to face. And within three to five days, they're literally out of panic attacks or out of a clinical depression. How does that happen? Well, you can't just decrease stress. You can't just fix slow wave sleep. You can't just have more motivation. You can't just decrease stress. The only thing you you have some control over, so we start with this. Imagine that you have this psychological level, right? And then there's this line, and if you dip so low, you dip into physiological. And the problem is people are treating depression and anxiety as only psychological events when, in fact, there are neurobiomechanics involved. There's neurophysiology involved. And if you dip so low that you're having a clinical depression or an anxiety, you've dipped into physiological. Therefore, the initial one week is a physiological fix not a psychological one. And then after we do the physiological intervention, 
Then we get to the psychological, which is talking about life, talking about mission, talking about other stuff. Okay. So here's how it works. For the first three to five days, when someone comes to me, the first thing I want them to do is eat a, a, a overabundance of healthy fats. It's like eat a big bowl of guac and call me in the morning. Why? Because I need fuel and fat is one of the best fuel sources we have. So I want them to eat guac. I want them to eat avocados. I want them to eat healthy nuts. I want them to eat seeds. And by pumping in healthy fats into the system, they start generating enough molecules that their frontal lobe and other important areas of the brain get recharged. When they're, when that area is recharged, it starts firing more. The neurons start firing more. Without enough fuel, the uh, neurons can't go into energy mode. There's no fuel to, to become energized. So couple steps. We eat way more fat in the first three to five days. Second, we try to get one night of sleep where you go to sleep at your body's uh, time. For over 25, it's 9.30. For under 25, it's 11. Third, we want to douse ourselves in mega doses of vitamin C. Vitamin C is a quirky little thing. I don't understand quite the mechanics, but for some reason, when your adrenal gland dumps out a lot of adrenaline and cortisol, it also releases all the vitamin C in your body and it dumps it all. And so by taking a mega dose of vitamin C around four o'clock in the afternoon um, for a week, you about a thousand milligrams. Uh, and I'll tell you why in a second for four o'clock. But by adding in a mega dose of vitamin C, you're tricking your adrenal gland to say, we have a lot of vitamin C, so obviously we don't have to put so much cortisol into the system. It's just short circuits that. And we've known this for decades, for 50 years now, 40 years now. Um, and so a mega dose of fat, mega dose of vitamin C, sleep, and I want you for seven days straight writing down one thing you're grateful for. That's kicking back in the system, the social system, gratitude, linking to something bigger, right? It's all of that stuff we've been talking about. That's a five-step process. And I can't tell you how many times after three to five days, someone has gone to like five therapists. They've been down and out for months and months and months. They do this and they it blows their mind. They can't believe it. I feel about 50 to 60% more like myself. I haven't felt this in months, hmm. right? It's a quick thing. And then we got to do some of the psychological work. So it's not like a, a backslide, right? Like this will help right. physically pull you out as much as you possibly can because there are things happening internally that are, are causing this. Um, but then the mental part is what will help maybe like long-term maybe. Yeah. And then we go back into all the stuff we talked about earlier. That's some of the psychology. And then we talk about you, you know, what's going on in your life, what's upsetting you, um, how are you approaching life, how are your relationships? And, you know, we might need to build in intimacy, capacity for intimacy. We might need to. But what I found, Rich, and the reason the CERT model came up so big was I found that therapy alone, I wasn't getting the results. I was actually starting to get better results with the CERT model because mm -hmm. linking to a greater aspiration and all was having a better effect on people. And what I realized is people are getting coaching, a performance model, or they're getting therapy. And what I found is when you do both, people do really, really well. Hmm. When you have performance coaching and therapy, you start kicking ass in life. 
the joy you experience is enormous and you can head things off quickly. So one last thing about the cortisol spiral, I guarantee you every one of you is going to get into a cortisol spiral one or two times a year, maybe more. An injury, bam, cortisol spiral. A breakup, boom, cortisol spiral. Your boss tools on you, cortisol spiral. But if you immediately go, oh, shoot, I'm in a cortisol spiral, quick, vitamin C, get me the guac, you will only <laughs> stay in it for three to five days. You will go in it. You can't prevent it, but you'll only stay in it for a shorter period of time. It won't become a three-month clinical depression. So just to clarify on the, the cortisol spiral again is that it, it – it, it takes time, right? It's like a, it compounds more or less. So, yeah, right. Like you said, it would take maybe six or eight weeks of something that is going to continue to dump that response through your system. Yeah. And, and you can enter it at any time, Rich. So let's say your, your, your friend is in need and you stay up late night after night after night, you just disrupted sleep over many nights. You're putting yourself in a cortisol spiral. You're not eating right eating right starts to disrupt motivation, concentration, socialization. You're entering a cortisol spiral. It doesn't have to start with stress, though they frequently do. Another big one is I had someone, they, this, is a, this is a funny story. Someone called me and I hadn't talk, spoke to her for two years and she's crying. I'm in the middle of Dorney Park, Pennsylvania uh, with my daughters and I, you know, they're off on a roller coaster. Steel force. Like, yeah. And I'm like, you okay? She, she's crying. I go, you know what? Don't even tell me. I know this person well. I'm like, don't even tell me. She goes, what? I said, you started a new job two months ago. You've been burning a candle at both ends. You've been trying your hardest. You've been skipping lunch. You've really been pouring yourself into it. She's an anxious temperament. And now the panic attacks are back. She goes, F-bomb. How the hell did you do that? I literally started a job two months ago. And I said, because Either it was a new job and you burned in a candle at both ends or you had a breakup. And I went a little more positive than bad. <laughs> but panic attacks came because she entered the cortisol spiral by not managing recovery, by not eating right. It was a good thing, but she put herself into it and she became so dysregulated that the panic attacks started. So it's a matter, it's not a matter of like, one event and like the the that event just hits over and over. It's that event can like, start a cascade of other mm -hmm. things that always such spiral we'll start that's why it's a spiral mm. and think mm. of how vulnerable our athletes are to this stuff. because we're already at this heavily stressed state because like right and and we're ego filled we're trying to win so we can win rather than link to a mission and then and then what do we got we got a social knockdown to like a crazy level right you know and that's that is one thing that like you know, with the work that, you know, when we talk and we've done together is like that part of like the, the goal setting piece is something I, I have tried to glom onto quite a bit um, mm -hmm. for that reason, right? It's like, if that can help disrupt this potential cortisol spiral, and if it can be ingrained in someone to the point where they're actually living that way, it's supposed to be like, oh, well, yeah, I'm doing this because um, X, Y, Z, I'm just giving you a reason because you asked for it. And it's still because they want to get you know, whatever on the podium and age group. Um, that's not like, this makes sense then. Cause that, th those goals always end up seeing, seeming like much harder to accomplish once failure is like come in. There's uh, not enough fuel to sustain it. 
and, it and, takes longer to achieve our aspirations than we have patience for. So where are you getting the energy to go for these long periods of time? That's why I love Duckworth's work. I love grit. But what she's missing are the neurobiomechanics. She missed the whole truth of it. Um, grit's important, but how do you get it? This right. is how you get it. And that's why I love Adam, Adam Grant's work. Yeah. And it's also the same way, like, yeah, the fuel part and also not having the the social knockdown, <laughs> you know, and just mm-hmm. like the constant social knockdown and then thinking about that type of thing. Um, which is definitely all, all type related. Um, the, did you tell, did you talk about why the, so let's just talk about the ways to get out of it again, that the fuel part makes sense. Um, with fats, you know, um, people can typically be relatively low on one on fat or carbohydrates, depending on their mm-hmm. thought It should obviously be balanced, but could it be the same with carbohydrates? And is it just a way to kind of spare, like spare the fuel that, like we said, is going up to the brain, um, just yeah. having more fuel. Yeah, because for- your brain's going to use the available fuel for your brainstem. Breathing and heart rate are kind of important in terms of your thinking. Or That's priority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to prioritize that, but we need enough back in to fill up the vacuoles with enough fuel so that, and now we need free-floating fuel. So it, it takes a lot of fuel in three days to really fuel back up, but it only takes like three to five days. And you won't get fat in that, in that amount of time. No, no. I <laughs> mean, you're so, yeah. Who cares at that point? You're so shot. I Depression think the, yeah. and anxiety are, they're terrible. I mean, they're, they're gut-wrenching. They're horrible, those spirits. And that could but be. If we, can, if we know what we're trying to attack, we can do much better and be more efficient. Right. And I just like, I'm thinking about it from people who are coming from it with uh, like issues that are pertained, like maybe they're in this spiral because of uh, food related issues. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. like, the prescription is, well, eat some more. They're going to be like, that's why I'm in this mess anyway, in the first place. Like, no. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I just had to think of it that perspective that like you're already low. So there's three to five days it's you won't it's not a body fat thing it's not gonna happen. right and i just want to do an asterisk here for those who might be triggered or upset i'm not saying this is a there's a lot of complicating factors there's a lot of nuances to this i gave you the front door but mm. you know i don't want to just say that clears everything up like i deal with this stuff all the time just trust me folks I know there's a bigger picture and I know there's nuances. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't want people to be like sending rich, nasty things like that dude just, Oh, that's it. Like, no, <laughs> but I, you know, we're on a one hour podcast and now right. one hour, 13 minutes and we need to end this. So I, I need to at least get the big picture out there and then we can do a lot of nuance. Well, and that's-, that's where I come in where athletes come to me and they don't come to me because they're depressed. They come for performance, but, Sometimes they come to me with histories of depression or anxiety, and we also deal with that. Mm-hmm. That's the personal side plus the performance coaching side. Mm-hmm. And that's why I work with a lot of athletes who do this stuff, you know? Yeah. And what's with the vitamin C at the 4 p.m. thing? Did you explain that? Oh, yeah. I didn't explain that. So I see. So since the so vitamin C takes probably 24 hours to take into the system. So it's, it's probably irrelevant. Four o'clock. I like hedging my bet. So. You need cortisol to perform. So you don't want to mess with your cortisol system early in a day because that's the thing helping you perform. So I'd rather you start messing with your cortisol system at four o'clock so that by 10 o'clock you're, you're, you're wanting uh, cortisol to uh, stop and uh, what's you, what you will call it, start. Um, 
the nighttime thing. Uh, melatonin? Yeah, melatonin. So when cortisol stops, melatonin starts. So I'd rather you start deleting your cortisol in the evening than in the morning. So I'd rather you try it at four. But there's no perfect science for that. But that's just hedging my bet. Makes sense to me. That makes sense to me for sure. So is there any like want to leave this in any way like a summary or anything or how do you how how can we how can you tie this up i i would say you know simply where we started which is know your craft really well have a performance model that that can lead you and have interpersonal capacity grow that you can't be a jerk (laughs) you know you 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 can't be a narcissist feel that because that's going to wreak havoc on your life. And now you're back into multiple cortisol spirals. So, you know, you take care of all three and find people who can help you. I'm here. Rich is here. We talk this stuff. We live this stuff. And please reach out. Um, hit me up. I'm very good at responding and giving people time. I also need to charge sometimes for my time. But of course. not always. You know, I only have a limited amount. Um, but, you know, so, yeah, I would say go back to those three. And this was a lot. This was drinking out of a fire hose. So you might, it might be worthwhile to listen to it a couple of times. Yeah. Give yourself the grace to check out this information a couple of times. And we'll just have to keep the streak. We'll have to, you're in first place right now on podcast <laughs> appearance. We'll have to keep you in first place. Other people start coming up. No. Tim is Tim's gonna be first, so we can always bring it back. Because I felt that way during this. I was like, "Oh man, I want to." I like this is something that needs to be explored. And like, I had a couple of feelings that that feeling a couple times during this conversation. I was like, "Oh my god, people need to know this, right?" Yeah, and it's a shame they don't. And that's where you know it's working with Torque and and other groups. It's like knowing the performance model is big, but you need then the immediate neurobiomechanics and then jump back to performance model. So that's what I do with both. We do the sport model get that all geared up. Then we do neurobiomechanics and then we jump back to the start model and people take off. They really do. We've launched two bands already. (laughs) I'm I'm proudest of that. Forget the gold medals. We launched two bar bands (laughs) and people who would have never done that. And they're happier now than they've ever been because their aspiration was to play live music and they never dreamed they could do it. And now here they are three years later playing out at bars, living the dream of their life. And I promise you, they would have never done it had they not just dreamed of an aspiration. That's like an, an accomplishment to have a bar band in 2020. It's like, it's not even bars. They're just like, <laughs> right. There's downplaying in Florida and Texas. It's all the only place they can play. And um, the best part of it is they kind of know they owe me. So they let me play bass. If, if I show I'm up, <laughs> I can jump on stage with them. So I get the dream. I get to my aspiration anyway. That's awesome. And it was all pro bono. I didn't charge any of the guys to do that. And they, here they are. All of this research and all the work that you're doing is just fulfilled by you getting on. It was just one big, long plan to you get on, on stage. <laughs> that's, it. that's all. That's everything. <laughs> I'm about. It's all because of that. Um, cool. Tell I'll make sure to link to everything. This was, this was great. Honestly, this is fantastic. So um, like Tim said, feel free to reach out, feel free to reach out to me, any questions, but I hope you guys got some good stuff out of this. I'm sure you did. So we're signing off. Wow. Wow. That was awesome. My sometimes I'll like be like reading a book or I'll see a movie or something, and it's just, it just speaks to me so much that I'm like, 
I need to tell every single person that I know about this and everybody needs to see it because of the impact that it's had now. And this episode, I feel like did that. I feel like that was just fantastic. So, uh, thank you for listening to all the way through. Make sure you're reaching out to Tim, give Tim a follow. Um, check him out as an athlete, great OCR competitor in his age group. But ultimately, I hope this does help. This is really powerful, valuable stuff, and I think it is going to be helpful for athletes of all caliber, for people of, of all ages, of all walks of life. So thank you for checking out the Reinforced Running Podcast. We love you.